0: Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. I want to tell you about this mistake that I made last week. And like I said at the beginning of the service, I kind of owe you an apology. Not kind of. I definitely owe you an apology. I'll give you a glimpse into the life of a pastor. Somebody stopped me last Sunday, and they were criticizing and complaining something about our church. Now, this is not just me. I don't know a pastor that doesn't have this happen to them regularly. So it's not that unusual. And the area that they were criticizing in our church, let's just be honest, it Deserves some criticism. It's got some work. Hey, we're a church plant. Everything around here feels like it's got some work to do. But it's all good. The thing about this criticism that really started to get under my skin is this person has not lifted a finger to make any difference in this area of ministry. But they were very quick to point out that it's not where it should be. And I totally agree. I just about lost it. And I decided, you know what, I'm angry, and if I say something right now, what comes out of my mouth is not going to be loving, it's not going to be gracious, it ain't going to sound very much like Jesus, I'm about to go off, so I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And this is where I owe you an apology. Because what I should have done at that moment, and I felt the Lord speaking to my spirit about this almost immediately, is I should have stopped what I was doing and dealt very swiftly and very seriously with that kind of attitude. You see, it's easy to point out where other people stumble. It's easy to point out the mistakes and the failures. Again, we're a church plant. There's lots and lots of things that need lots and lots of work. We have to grow in a lot of areas, but this judgmental Critical attitude is dangerous in a church. In fact, I put this up here on the screens. If you were with us at the beginning when we launched our church, we listed five core values. This is who we are as a church. This is what we stand for. And today I want to explain number three on this screen. I'm going to put it up here for everybody to see. Because when we use the phrase living free, I want you to hear something. We're not just talking about the freedom that Jesus gives us from our sin. Please look up here for a second. We're talking about living free from super judgmental jerks. And what I'm going to tell you today is that if you run into people like that in Two Cities Church, you need to let me know. Because I need to go and talk to them. And I need to help counsel them about what's going on in their soul. And if things don't get better and they remain hypercritical and judgmental and hypocritical, then it's time for me to help them find another church. Because the truth is, living free means that if you're one of those judgmental, critical people who can see the speck in somebody else's eye, but not the log in your own eye, you probably found the wrong church. That's what we mean by living free. Living free. And the reason I'm bringing this up to you is because at this point in the Bible, we're studying through the book of John in the Bible. We're just going systematically verse by verse. And at this point in the Bible, John is going to do something for us that I think is brilliant. He's going to give us a glimpse into the heart of judgmental, critical people. He's going to tell us what's going on in their heart that makes them so judgmental that nobody likes them, their mother, their spouse, everybody hates them, nobody likes being around them because they're the kind of person that just makes you feel terrible about yourself. And what we're going to see today from the book of John is basically five reasons why people are hypercritical, uh, can become hypercritical, especially church people. And if you know somebody like this, Maybe you'll start to pray for them right now. Maybe you will have a conversation with them and say, hey, I don't know if you notice something about you, but I do. You're really, really judgmental. You're really, really critical until you start talking about you. And then all of a sudden, you're very gracious and have lots of mercy when you talk about you. But when you talk about anybody else, you're super judgmental. That's the kind of people that you're going to run into today in John chapter seven. And we're going to look at what's going on in their heart. Five kind of reasons why people are judgmental and critical. And here's reason number one. They believe that they get the chance to tell God what to do. Now, if you listen to their words, you'll hear that in their heart, they kind of set themselves up. Although they're the created, they kind of tell God what he should do um, and let the creator know what the created thinks about uh, what God is supposed to do next. We pick up the story right where we left off last week. John chapter 7, Jesus's brothers, Mary and Joseph, had more children. And Jesus' brothers come to Jesus, and they try to push him. And last week, Jesus said, I don't listen to you. I don't answer to you. So I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. We're going to pick the story up in verse 10, where we left off last week. And here's what happens next. After his brothers had gone up to the festival, this huge celebration in Jerusalem, then he, King Jesus, went up also, not openly, but secretly. All right, last week, his brothers came to him and said, hey, Jesus, if you really want to grab the spotlight you got to go to the big crowds, and the big crowds are in the big city. So, Jesus, if you want to grab the microphone, if you want to grab the megaphone, you got to go to Jerusalem. And they're pushing him. And Jesus said, I don't listen to you. I listen to my father. Not Joseph. He's your dad. I listen to my father. He's in heaven. And Jesus decides, okay, I'll go, but I'm not going to grab the spotlight. And so he goes in secrecy. The Jews, and here's why, because the Jews... We were looking for him at the festival. And they were saying, Where is he? And there was a lot of murmuring about him among the crowds. Now, just bear with me for a second. You guys say the word murmur out loud. Okay, now murmur the word murmur out loud. Yeah, it sounds like that's what it sounds like. Okay, the word murmur is when you're complaining about somebody, but you don't have the courage to say it to their face. So you're kind of complaining about them on social media, or you're complaining about them behind their back. That's the word that the Bible is using right here. The people, some of the religious leaders are starting to murmur, criticize and complain. Get this judge, the judge of the universe about his actions. So some were saying, he's a good man. And others were saying, no, on the contrary, he is deceiving the people. Still, nobody was talking publicly. And here's why. If you were to talk publicly about Jesus, you were in trouble. They weren't talking publicly about him because the Jewish leadership, specifically the Jewish high priest and some of the Jewish religious leaders, were out to kill Jesus, and they were out to kill anybody who spoke highly of him. That's how threatened they were by Jesus. And what the Bible is describing for us right now is a crowd of people that are trying to figure out who is this guy. There are some in the crowd who think they can make decisions for God. Now, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, they just said that he's deceiving the crowds. That's no big deal, right? It's, it sounds like a big deal, but it's, it's actually just telling a little white lie. Is that all that they're accusing Jesus of? No, no. Go back and read Deuteronomy chapter 13. And you'll hear that if you are deceiving people's faith, that is a capital offense in Israel that's guilty and uh, punishable by death. And the religious leaders are starting to say, hey, we need to kill this prophet because he's deceiving people and he's impacting their faith. They couldn't see, this blows my mind, they could not see after all of the religious studies that they've done, who was standing right in front of their midst. And do you know why? Because they were playing the role of God for all of the rest of the people. In fact, if you even speak nice about him, we're gonna hurt you. That's how much they wanted to get Jesus out of the picture. There are people very judgmental, Critical people. I understand why this happens outside of the church. It blows my mind that unfortunately, people like those Pharisees in Jesus' day are still in the church in our day. Chances are you've met some people like that. They like to comment about the way that you dress or about the way that you act or about something that you say. But again, they can't hear anything. They, they are very gracious to their own actions and very critical of you for, their, for your actions. These people are ultimately stepping into the role of God and trying to play God, get this, in your life and tell you what you should do, just like these religious leaders. Even Jesus's own half brothers are trying to play the role of God and tell Jesus what to do. And Jesus says, I don't listen to you. I definitely don't listen to those religious leaders. I listen to my father and I do what my father in heaven tells me to do. See, some of them are playing God the truth is, others of them, they, they just think that they're smarter than you are. And they really like to show it off with their knowledge of the Bible. Now get this. They use Bible verses as a knife to attack you. When God originally wrote the Bible as a scalpel to cut and to cure and to heal you, they try to hurt you with the Bible instead of trying to heal something in your life with the Bible. And that's exactly what you see next. In the book of John. Here's where it picks up in verse 14. When the festival was already halfway over, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. And then the Jews were amazed and they said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? And I just want to pause for a second. I'll tell you Jesus' answer in just a moment. But at this point in Uh, Bible times, there are no universities, there are no professors, which means there's no college campuses to teach on. When a traveling rabbi or a traveling teacher came to Jerusalem, the huge temple complex had these side rooms like classrooms, and a traveling teacher could show up in the temple. They would allow him to teach in a classroom, and people would show up. Well, Jesus starts to teach, and he draws a pretty big crowd, and people are saying, wait a second, The words that are coming out of his mouth are different than what I've heard from other rabbis. And then they ask the question, where did this man get his education from? Because in Jesus's day, a very prominent rabbi would pour into you and your um, education was all based on your teacher. People would allow you, they'd give you some um, credentials or some respect because of how respectable your teacher was. And what the crowds are saying is, this is an ignorant carpenter from Nazareth. Where did he get that kind of education? And Jesus says, I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you exactly where my education comes from. How is it that this man is so learned since he hasn't been trained? And here's Jesus' answer. My teaching isn't mine, but it is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, speaking of the Father, he will know whether my teaching or whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. There is no unrighteousness in him. Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why are you trying to kill me? What Jesus is describing here is where his education comes from. And he says, look, I didn't study under a prominent rabbi. Let me tell you where I learned what I'm teaching. I got it directly from the mouth of God. And by the way, before we're done today, the religious leaders understand the implications of what Jesus is saying. And they're ready to kill him on the spot. The crowds are starting to hear this guy. And they're saying, wait a second. He's not beating me over the head with the Bible. He isn't turning it into a whipping stick that he uses as a knife to attack me. He's using this Bible in a, like a skillful surgeon to cut right through to what's going on in my heart. And frankly, I've never heard anybody teach like this. Where does this man get his education from? And Jesus says, if you, if you believe in the one who sent me, then you're gonna believe in my teachings. And by vice versa, if you believe in me, You're going to believe in the one who sent me. Jesus isn't flaunting his education, and he's certainly not beating people over the head with the Bible. If you're not in a life group in Two Cities Church, can I tell you why our life groups are not Bible studies? Don't get me wrong. We open the Bible. We talk about the Bible. But our life groups are built around questions. We call them discussion questions. They're right there in your mobile app. Let me tell you why we do it around questions. There's two very big reasons. One, questions are designed to get people talking. Life groups are all about people opening up, finally getting to this vulnerable moment where they're going to share something about themselves. And generally speaking, that doesn't happen when some guy or some gal is up there flaunting their Bible knowledge and not giving anybody else in the group a chance to talk. So the discussion questions are all designed to just get people opening up their hearts and starting to say what's going on in their life. In my group, one of my groups, we have seven questions that we look at, we probably don't get past question number two or number three each week because people are just so engaged and talking about what's going on in their life. That's the first reason. Second reason is because some church Bible studies really feel very arrogant to me. It feels like a Bible teacher that is flaunting in a very proud, very arrogant way how much more they know about the Bible than you know. And if you're kind of new to this whole Christianity thing and you show up in a group like that, you're going to feel this big real quick. So our groups are not designed to be a open the Bible. I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about the Bible. You sit down, shut up, and just be wowed by how much I know. It is definitely not what some people would call a Sunday school class. It's a group of brothers and sisters that are just starting to open their lives up and live life with one another. Because the super judgmental people are very skilled at using the Bible to hurt instead of to heal somebody. And when they start to beat you over the head with the Bible, I've watched this hundreds of times, everybody in the group shuts down immediately. That's human nature. I shut down when something like that happens. Third thing that you read about in John, is that these critical, judgmental, self-righteous Christians believe that they know your heart. Now, Jesus uses this language. He said, you know, some people can see the speck in your eye, but they cannot see the telephone pole that's sticking out of their eye. That's how focused they are on you, but they forget about them. And what I'm going to say next may sound a bit uh, contradictory to you, so I need you to stay with me to the end because I need you to hear what the Bible is describing next, starting in verse 20. See, the crowds are saying, "Uh, this guy is from the devil. In fact, you have a demon, the crowds responded. Who is trying to kill you? I performed one work, Jesus said, and you are amazed. This is why Moses has given you circumcision. Not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made an, a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Listen to these next words. I hope this hits you in the chest like a ton of bricks because everything you hear from me next hangs on this phrase stop judging according to outward appearances rather judge according to righteous judgments judge the heart instead of the actions wait a second Jeff you just said a second ago that supercritical judgmental people are judging our hearts and nobody likes that I'm going to explain this in just a second you see The Jewish leaders created such a heavy burden for people about the Sabbath. They created so many laws that, frankly, I don't know how you could keep up with them all. You could walk this far, but no further. And then it was considered work, and you've just broken the law on the Sabbath. You could not light a fire, but you could warm yourself by a fire because lighting a fire was considered work, and you just broke the law. And now you're in trouble because you broke the law of the Sabbath. And Jesus is going to turn the tables on these hypocrites, and he's going to use their hypocrisy against them. Hey, you guys, you religious leaders out there, you'll let somebody plan, you'll let somebody prepare, you'll let a, a rabbi walk a long distance to go circumcise a baby on an eighth day because a baby had to be circumcised on the eighth day even if the eighth day was a Sabbath. And you don't say anything about that. I just healed a man who had been crippled for decades and I healed him his entire body And you're going to criticize me for the very same thing that you do regularly. In other words, you can see what is in my eye, but you cannot see what is in your eye. And you're saying, Jeff, is Jesus really saying that we should be able to examine the heart? Well, here's the truth. Sin's essence comes from the heart. All of the sinful actions that I do. It comes out of a heart that has a tendency towards sin. And so super judgmental people are quick to point out people's actions, but they miss their own attitude. Listen to what I'm telling you. What they will do is they will judge your actions very severely, but they will miss their own attitude. And I'm telling you every Christian should become an expert in judging the heart But listen to what I say next. Your own heart, not somebody else's. Looking in the mirror and saying, God, why did I do that? God, why did I fail to do that? What's wrong in my heart that made it possible that I could just turn a blind eye? to this need. Or what's wrong in my heart that I could do something that I know is wrong, you know it's wrong. These super judgmental people are really quick to point out somebody else's wrong actions, but they miss their own wrong heart. And Jesus is saying, stop judging the actions. Start judging the heart. And you can't possibly know somebody else's heart, but you do know yours. So if you're going to judge the heart, judge your own heart. And that will show you where your not, um, not adding up. That will show you where you're not measuring up. Fourth, we're moving right along. In the book of John, these people believe that you should follow, it's very specifically worded on the screens, your rules or their rules, not God's rules. They like to set the rules and then they expect you to follow their rules. And that's exactly what you see in the book of John next. Listen to what these religious leaders do. Some of the people in Jerusalem were saying, isn't this the man that they are trying to kill? Yet look, he's speaking publicly and they're saying nothing to him like, hey, they've already told everybody in the crowd that we wanna catch Jesus and we wanna kill Jesus. Jesus is standing among the crowds right now and they're not even making a move on him. Can it be true? And here's where now it starts to get really interesting. Can it be true that the authorities know that he really is the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, nobody will know where he's from. As he was teaching in the temple, Jesus cried out, You know me, and you know where I'm from. Yet I have not come on my own, but the one who sent me is true. You don't know him, talking about his father. I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. And now they understand what Jesus is saying. So they tried to seize him. Yet no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. That's John's way of saying the moment that God had appointed for Jesus to die for our sins. That moment hasn't showed up yet. So nobody could lay a hand on him. However, many in the crowd, they listened. And they started to think about what they were hearing. And they believed in him. And said, when the Messiah comes... He won't perform more signs than this man has done, will he? They're basically saying, listen, I saw the crippled man now walking. I saw the crowds of thousands and tens of thousands of people that he fed. Surely there's not going to be somebody that's going to show up and outperform those kind of miracles, are they? See, the Bible tells us that when God sends the rescuer, check this out, he will come from Nazareth. He will be a Nazarene oh, but by the way, he will also come from Bethlehem. He will be born in Bethlehem. Oh, by the way, he will also come from Egypt. He will be a deliverer like Moses out of Egypt. And if you're sitting there reading the Bible and you're confused, the Jews in Jesus's day also said, but even though he comes from Nazareth and Bethlehem and Egypt, we really won't know exactly where he's from. And in truth, Jesus was born in Bethlehem and his family had to run to Egypt and he was coming out of Nazareth when he shows up on the scene. And they're saying, could this be the guy? But wait a second. We know he's from Nazareth. I thought you didn't really know exactly where the Messiah is from. And Jesus says, I'm going to remind you of something. I actually didn't come from Nazareth or from Bethlehem or from Egypt. I came from heaven. And those that are on their way from he- to heaven, they're going to recognize me. And you can't miss what he says to these religious leaders. You jokers who have studied the Bible your whole life can't see that I'm from heaven because you're not on your way to heaven. And you should be thinking to yourself, if that's possible, that they've studied the Bible their whole life and are not on their way to heaven Uh uh-oh, what about my friend or my neighbor who gets up and goes to church and lives any way that they want to live? Is it possible that they're not on their way to heaven? See, this crowd is a little bit confused and some are now starting to say, I think this really might be the guy, but I can't say that out loud because the religious leaders will kill me if they hear me say something like that, which brings us to the fifth and final thing. And this is where they are just preaching a false gospel to you. They're preaching a gospel of good works, telling you that by doing better, God will love you and he'll let you into heaven. Where the Bible says, there's no amount of good good deeds that I can do, good dudes getting into heaven, good deeds that I can do, that's gonna get me or you into heaven. It doesn't work like that. You see, they believe that they can change you at the soul level. And I can't change you At the soul level, I pour out my heart to you. But at the end of the day, when I lay my head down on the pillow at night, I know I can't change another human being's soul. That is a miracle that only God in heaven can do. And what they're really trying to do is to get you to change your actions. Instead of really getting to the essence of what's going on and reminding you how much you and I need the blood of Jesus to change our soul. And then our actions will follow after that. Here's how we wrap up today. John chapter 7, starting in verse 32. The Pharisees heard the crowd, and now they're threatened. They heard the crowd murmuring, which means don't have the courage to say it out loud because I know I'm going to get in trouble, but I really do think this may be the guy. They heard the crowd murmuring these things about Jesus. So the chief priest and the Pharisees sent servants, the temple guards, to go arrest Jesus. And then Jesus said, I'm only with you for a short time. Then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you won't find me. And where I am, you cannot come. And the reason you cannot come is not because you don't understand. It's because you don't really believe at the soul level. And then the Jews said to one another, where does he intend to go that we won't find him? He doesn't intend to go to the Jewish people dispersed among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, does he? What is this remark that he's made? You will look for me, and you will not find me. For where I am, you cannot come. Jesus is basically describing the difference between um, intellectual head knowledge and believing something so much that it changes your life. You see what the Bible described is people that said, okay, we've just heard him and we're starting to know that this really might be the Messiah. Don't miss this Bible word because this Bible word is different than air quotes, pray in a prayer or understanding a few Bible concepts or even believing something in your head. That kind of knowledge is the rock-solid certainty, so convinced that I'm going to stake my life on it, and if this isn't true, I am totally and completely helpless. Some people in the crowd started to hear him. They started to put the message and the miracles together and say, I think this is the dude. I think he really is Messiah. And they started to know it. And those Jewish leaders started to get threatened. Those religious leaders started to say, we've got to do whatever it takes to stamp this out. They were really preaching a false gospel, a gospel of do this and don't do that, and God will love you and he'll let you into heaven. Now I just want to get real with us for a second. You know somebody, I know somebody, more than a few somebodies who are super critical and very judgmental. And they call themselves a Christian. And at the essence of what they're, what's coming out of their mouth, I can't help but wonder, are you believing in a false gospel? Are you believing that if I will do good and not do bad, that God will love me and he'll let me into heaven? Are you believing that if you do good and not bad, God will love you and he'll let you into heaven? Because if that was the case, these religious leaders would get in. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear today. You don't recognize me because you're not going to be in heaven with me one day. You don't recognize the one who sent me. And you're certainly not going to be with me when I get into heaven. You see, this false gospel is really when we use the wrong tape measure. What we're doing is measuring ourselves against other people when what God has really said is, if you want to know who you are, if you want to know how things stand in your soul apart from me, you got to measure yourself against the only standard measurement out there. You got to measure yourself against my son, Jesus. And when you measure yourself against my son, Jesus, it will be very clear to you. I don't measure up. I don't even come close to measuring up. The people that are measuring themselves against somebody else, they do it because this is a measurement that I can achieve. I can live up to that measurement. But if I'm supposed to measure myself against Jesus, nobody's gonna be able to live up to that measurement. And so they choose the easier ruler and they make themselves feel good by making you feel bad. When what the Bible is saying is, come to Jesus, run to Jesus and admit to him that you don't measure up. And he's gonna say, I know you don't measure up. Nobody does. There hasn't been a human being ever who's measured up to me, but you don't have to measure up. You See, I was willing to leave heaven and come to earth because you don't measure up. I was willing to become your sacrifice for all of your failures, all of your mistakes, all of the times that you've ever messed up. I was willing to pay the price for that. And if you will trust me, and I mean stake it all on me, I will make you measure up. Not by any good that you've done, but by the perfect life that I've lived. I will take the penalty for your sin And I will give you the credit for my perfect life. And when you stand before God, you more than measure up. Because the sin has been washed away. And he's giving you the credit for a life that you didn't live. That you couldn't possibly live. See, what I'm challenging people today with at the end of this sermon. Is to don't just hear the Bible. Let it go into one ear and then slip out the other. And tomorrow it doesn't make any difference in your life. Maybe somebody in this room is realizing, "Uh uh-oh, I've been... At the, at the essence of what I believe, I have been hoping that at the end of my life, my good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds, and God would let me into heaven on the good deeds that I've done, or the bad deeds that I didn't do, and I have really been trying to get into heaven using the wrong tape measure. And maybe in just a moment, you need to pray and ask the king of heaven to change your soul and to do something for you that I can't do for you, you can't even do that for yourself. But if you're sincere, he will hear it, he'll honor it, and he will radically turn, change you, turn you into a new person if you will come to him in faith. I really believe that some people in this room have heard others place their rules for how you're supposed to live on your life. Please listen to me, Two Cities Church we will live free. We will live free from our own sin and the shame that goes along with that because Jesus has taken the shame so I don't need to take it on my shoulders. I will run to him and I will hide nothing from him. We will live free from our own sin but we will also live free from some super critical, judgmental Christian who tells you how to live. We're not gonna follow somebody else's rules. We're just gonna relentlessly follow the Holy Spirit of the living God. He sets the rules for my life, not somebody else, and for your life as well. And I really believe that a few of you, maybe more than a few of you, need to pray that God would give you some freedom from some judgmental people who are placing their rules on your life this week. Maybe somebody's watching this, and maybe somebody's saying, "Uh uh-oh, I've done that. I've done that to somebody just recently. And God, I recognize now that's not good. That attitude that allows me to be that judgmental or that critical, that I can see a speck in my sister's eye or my brother's eye, but not the log sticking out of my eye, that's a bad thing, God, and I need you to fix me. I need you to help me. I I repent, meaning I'm sorry and I'm not gonna do this anymore. So would you bow? Would you let me pray for you? Would you let me pray for me right now? And just get serious with the Holy Spirit right now. Father, I want to, before we say anything else, I want to pray for somebody who may be tuned in right now and who has heard again and again that by being a good boy, by doing the good deeds and being a good girl, that you're going to love her and you're going to let him into heaven. And they're realizing now that's obviously not the case. John chapter 7 makes it crystal clear it's not possible. And what the Bible is really saying is that I am so broken that I'm actually dead in my sin and I need you to do a miracle and take what is dead and make it alive. Not just me, but somebody's watching this broadcast. Maybe they're in this room. And they need to go from dead in sin to alive through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection for the first time. So God, I'm just asking you would give somebody the sincerity to cry out a prayer of faith and to just simply say, God, I'm sorry. God, forgive me. God, I can't clean this mess up. I can't fix what I've done wrong. God, would you heal me? And would you forgive me? And would you turn me into somebody new? And Father, if that is from a sincere heart, you and you alone can measure our heart. And you know that if that prayer is sincere, God, you give them the promise of eternal life, not because of what they've done, not even because of this prayer, but because of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. God, I long for, I have been heavily burdened this week for Christians who are living under the yoke of somebody else's rules and critical, judgmental people telling them how they're supposed to live. God, would you help your people to live free and to just shamelessly run to you when we mess up and to come to you and look to you and your spirit and only your spirit for how to live and not allow other people to place their judgmental rules on us. Maybe father, somebody has been hearing this and maybe they realize, uh Oh, that person's me and God, what they need right now is for you to work in their heart. Because this judgmental, critical attitude comes from a bad place in their heart. So God, would you give them the freedom of not having to listen to and be led by a judgmental, critical heart. Father, I just ask that your people would live free. Free from sin for the first time or free from somebody else's judgment on their life. That's my prayer over your people right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.